This is Brandon Marvel, and you are listening to the All Pro Podcast, sponsored by the Ohio Sports News Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the All Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Marvel. And today, we're going to have a fun episode. It's going to get aggravating, in my opinion, at some points. But today, we're going to be talking a lot about the Cleveland Browns and the whole Odell situation. And then we're going to end it off with some Cavs basketball, who have started off great this season. They started off 0-2, and they're now 6-4. and But I'm going to get a little bit more into that and the details of their season so far uh, in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about uh, a little bit of some Indians slash Guardians news a little bit before we get into anything else. So the other day, the script Indians sign inside of Progressive Field was officially completely taken down. And the signage on the outside of the uh, stadium is still there. But the signage on the inside is is now completely taken out. Now... The name Guardians, we don't know if it's going to stand or not because apparently there's a roller derby team in Cleveland that also has the name of Guardians, and they're filing a lawsuit, and they're suing the baseball team. So I don't know exactly how long it's going to take for the whole lawsuit to be settled. I'm assuming that the baseball team is going to win the settlement just on the simple fact that one... I don't think anybody listening to this, myself included, knew that there was a roller derby team in Cleveland and even what their name was, if you did. And I heard on the radio the other day a kind of funny thing. The last thing that was posted on the Cleveland Guardians roller derby social media was the 2018 team photo. So it's been three years since the roller derby team has even posted anything on social media, which in my opinion is kind of funny because now they come out and they're like, oh, that was our name first, like blah, blah, blah. Like if you have copyright, yeah, sure, that's understandable. But if you don't have copyright, then you really don't have much of a fight on your hands. And it's it's kind of pointless to do so if you don't have copyright. But... The, the funniest thing to me about this is I heard a theory that because of the backlash that this new name got from the fans and everything, like, oh, Guardians, it's such a stupid name, blah, 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 this and that, that the Cleveland Guardians baseball team reached out to the roller derby team saying, hey, come sue us so that we can pick a different name. So that the fans will hopefully like it more than the Guardians. And that, that honestly made me laugh a little bit because, in my opinion, for the majority of people that don't like the name Guardians, I feel like would not have liked any name just for the simple fact that the name was changed in the first place. And personally, I don't really care anymore because there's still a team in Cleveland, there's still going to be a baseball team. I'm still going to be watching games and everything like that. But I just find the whole situation kind of 
laughable at the moment just because like if you're the Cleveland Indians slash Guardians, whatever you want to call them right now, and you're looking into team names, I mean, you probably would have found that there was a roller derby team in Cleveland called the Guardians, but now it's coming out that they had no idea and they didn't know they existed, which honestly, I I don't blame them because who knew that there was a roller derby team in Cleveland in the first place. But that that's besides the point. But I don't know exactly what's going to go on with this whole lawsuit and the suing thing and all that fun stuff that they're working through on their side of things. But there was some news the other day. Uh, the team did decide to pick up the $12 million option on third baseman Jose Ramirez, which will keep him in Cleveland at least another year. Uh, he also has one more team option after this year, uh, which I wouldn't be surprised would be picked up. And then they declined the option on catcher Roberto Perez. That would have cost him $7 million. So Roberto Perez will most likely no longer be with the Cleveland baseball team, Indians, Guardians, whatever you want to call them right now, um, for next season, which would put Austin Hedges at the starting spot. Which, I mean, doesn't really, in my opinion make a huge difference they're both really good on the defensive side but hitting they both are pretty atrocious when it comes to hitting the ball so in my opinion it doesn't really matter that we didn't pick up Roberto Perez's option but we'll see how it works out throughout the rest of the next season Um, and also Francisco Perez a relief pitcher was claimed off of waivers this last week Um, So he will no longer be with uh, the club next year. Um, And that's that's really all that's been going on with the baseball side of Cleveland. Um, And now I want to get get into talking a little bit about my thoughts on the whole Odell Beckham situation. So if any of you listening don't know already, the Cleveland Browns officially released Odell Beckham Jr., yesterday afternoon and I to me the the way this whole situation went down was I don't want to say childish but after listening to all these players talk and their press conference and stuff they were all caught off guard so it was a very I'm gonna maybe unprofessional is the better word I think it was unprofessional that the way Odell Beckham handled the situation. Now on Tuesday um, was the trade deadline. Tuesday was the trade deadline for the NFL. So all trades that you want to make had to be done by 4 p.m. on Tuesday. Early in the day on Tuesday, Odell Beckham's father posted a YouTube video on his Instagram that showed all of the times that Odell was open and the ball wasn't thrown to him or all the times that the ball was thrown to him and Baker just didn't connect. And I'm thinking, okay, well, this is his dad. He's going to want what bets for his son. But you're completely calling out the quarterback of the team. It's not just like saying, 
oh, I want the best for my son, blah, 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 this and that. I want him to succeed. Obviously, you want him to succeed and be the best player that he can be and everything like that if you're his father. But to post a video that's basically destroying the quarterback is just stupid, in my opinion. And I don't know whether Odell like helped orchestrate that or if he even said anything to his dad. But I highly doubt he said anything to his dad just for the fact that once that whole thing was going on, on Wednesday, Odell... So Odell didn't get traded on Tuesday, obviously. And then on Wednesday, uh, Kevin Stefanski talked in a press conference as well as Baker Mayfield. And neither of them had had any kind of communication with Odell since that video released by the time of Wednesday afternoon. So there was a span of 24 hours where neither the head coach or the quarterback of the team had heard from Odell. And now I don't know if Odell had reached out to any other players or anything like that. Like him and Jarvis, they go way back. They were best friends in college. They they got drafted the same year and they came up in the league together basically and then they ended up on the same team a couple years ago when Odell got traded to the Browns and they're obviously best friends like they're gonna end up wanting to win a ring together at some point so like I don't know if Odell had reached out to Jarvis or any other players on the team throughout this whole situation but it just it doesn't seem like he did and that's, that's really the main problem I have with this whole situation. Like, there's times where players want to get out of a certain off a certain team because either they don't like people or they feel like they're not being used or whatever other reason it may be. But the fact that Odell had no communication whatsoever with any of his teammates or the head coaches or the coaching staff that kind of that kind of bothers me that bother that really bothers me just because like if you're not going to be on the team anymore if you know you don't want to be on the team and your dad posts that video lebron james tweets hey we're going to show why you're still a wide receiver one hashtag free obj all that crap if that all is going to happen and you still don't say a single word. It shows that you don't care truly about anybody or anyone that is a part of that organization. You're not talking to him saying, hey, like, I can't control my dad. I can't control LeBron. Like, they did what they did. Like, I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. He didn't say anything. He, he had nothing to say about the whole situation. It didn't come out until Friday when he was released that Andrew Barry said that he had talked to Odell throughout the situation. And I don't know if it was throughout like Tuesday through Friday or if it was just on Thursday or if it was just on Friday. But when you're supposedly a star player, which right now Odell is not what he used to be that he was in New York, Odell based off of his production, is just an average wide receiver right now. He is an average, middle-of-the-road wide receiver. 
So for him to just completely blindside the whole team and not say a single word, not mention the situation, not talk to anyone is the most annoying and aggravating thing about this whole situation. Now, we can we can go and talk again about, oh, well, Baker this, Baker that, or, oh, Odell this, he couldn't catch the ball, Odell was slipping on his routes, or Baker overthrew him or underthrew him, or he was wide open and Baker didn't hit him. It doesn't matter anymore. Odell Beckham is no longer a part of the Cleveland Browns. And personally, after this whole situation, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that for multiple reasons. The first reason is because when you have a player that's supposed to be all about winning and goes and just completely blindsides and goes behind his team's back and doesn't mention any of this kind of situation that he was going through or what it may have caused in the locker room or anything like that. I don't want that kind of person playing for my city's team. I just don't, straight up. And you could say, well, who cares that he didn't say anything? He didn't even do anything. Okay, fair. He didn't post the video. He didn't tweet that free me or free OBJ or anything like that. But sometimes in situations like this, silence speaks the loudest. If he would have came out and said, hey guys, like, I know we all probably saw that video. We all saw LeBron's tweet. Like, I'm sorry. I still want to be here. I want to win with this team. Fine. I would have loved, I would love to still have him on the team. I think that if we would have used him the way he should have been used, wide receiver screens or quick slants, wherever that may be, I think he could still be a very productive player. But because we weren't using him, in my opinion, to his full potential, he wasn't. He wasn't a great player. He's not a great player anymore based off of his numbers the past few years. So for him to just not say anything about the whole situation is the main reason that I'm fine with him being gone. The second reason is the number side of things. Now, I already had said that, you know, he hasn't been very productive the past couple years. But I don't want to just talk about his numbers and his stats. I want to talk about Baker Mayfield's stats. Baker Mayfield's stats with Odell on the field or available compared to Baker's stats when Odell is not available or he's not on the field. Baker Mayfield's completion percentage without Odell on the field or available is 7% higher than when Odell is on the field or available. Baker's passer rating is 20 points better without Odell Beckham on the field or available. Baker's touchdown to interceptions without 
uh, Odell Beckham. Last just last season alone, he had twenty touchdowns and two interceptions. With Odell on the field, ten touchdowns and seven interceptions. So, just in the fact that there's numbers and stats to prove that Baker Mayfield is a better quarterback when Odell Beckham is not on the field is another reason I'm completely fine with Odell no longer being a part of the Browns. Now, if it was a situation where Odell was making Baker better, I don't even think we'd be having this conversation. Odell would still be on the team. The Browns would be better than 4-4. Four and four, And we'd have no kind of pessimism or kind of doubt about what this team can do the rest of the year. Now, the whole, the whole situation, when it first happened, I... I personally thought that the Browns should just keep him on the team the rest of the year. I thought that they should just waste a roster spot of that 53 and just keep him at home like they did on Wednesday and Thursday. He was excused from practice. He didn't come to the facility at all. But now that he is released and all these other little news things are coming out. I'm completely fine with it. Mary Kay Cabot, who's a senior writer for the Cleveland Browns, had mentioned that this past offseason, right after the Browns went to the playoffs, beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, were a play away from going to the AFC Championship and beating the Chiefs. After that season... He requested a trade. He voiced last offseason while he was rehabbing from a torn ACL that he no longer wanted to be on the team. Now, for someone to say Odell is all about winning, for him to say, oh, I'm all about winning, which is fair, like, Obviously, if you're in any professional sports league, your main goal is to win a championship and be a champion of whatever league you're in. But to have a team that went 11-5, and won a playoff game for the first time in forever, went to the playoffs for the first time in forever, nearly beat the Kansas City Chiefs in the divisional round, and say, I don't want to be on this team anymore even though they did all of this without me? If you think you're a great player and you want to win so bad, wouldn't that make you want to stay on that team even more and not want to be traded or released from the team? Wouldn't that make you want to get on that field even faster so that you could help this team win? So that you could produce to what you think you can, to what you know you can. If I'm Odell in that situation, yeah, it sucks how it happened that I got injured. Baker threw a pick. I came running down the field, tried to make a tackle, tore my ACL. Yeah, that sucks. 
It's the NFL. Stuff like that happens. People have season-ending injuries, career-ending injuries. Look at Christian McCaffrey. Over the past couple years, this dude has not been able to stay healthy. Is it anyone's fault? No, that's just how it goes. People in the NFL get injured. Just because you think you're a star does not mean that you're never going to get injured or that you're never going to go through adversity as a player or as a team. Things like that are going to happen. Now, I don't know if that's when it all started for Odell, where he thought, oh, I need to get out of here. I can't have a quarterback that's underthrowing me or overthrowing me and me getting injured because of it. I don't know if that's when it all started. I wouldn't be too surprised if that's where it did, honestly. But to be in that situation and be rehabbing from an injury after your team just went to the playoffs and say you don't want to be there anymore. That's so mind-blowing. Like, Why would you want to put yourself in a position to be on any other team? You could have been part of a great story, a great storied franchise. The Browns historically, not good. Not good at all. The 1980s were the last time the Browns were anywhere near this good. The 1980s, when Bernie Kosar, Ozzie Newsome, Kevin Mack, Ernest Biner, when those guys were on the team. When they were going to the playoffs every year, every other year, and they just couldn't get over the hump of the Denver Broncos. That's the last time the Cleveland Browns have had anywhere near the kind of production that they do now or that they did last season. And to say you don't want to be a part of that, you don't want to be a part of a team that two years before you got there went 0-16 and 1-15 and then three years later go on and win a championship possibly, make a deep playoff run, you're telling me you don't want to be a part of that? Because your numbers aren't where you want them to be? That's selfish. And I understand that you want to be great. Being a starting wide receiver on a championship team will make you great. Not complaining, not whining about, oh, I'm not getting my touches. Oh, I'm not, I'm not getting open. I'm getting open, but the, the quarterback's not throwing me the ball. He's not being accurate. Cry me a river, dude. Come on. I bet there's a bunch of other players that would have loved to be in your position last year. Loved it. Not in, the, not in the sense of you being injured and having to rehab through a team's great season, but to see your teammates ball out without you. Without you. I bet so many other players in the NFL would have killed 
to be in that situation just in the simple fact that they knew they were going to come back this year and they were going to be able to help produce for this team and make it even better than what it was last year. Odell Beckham's ego and his pride got in the way way too much. Way too much. To the point where he requested a trade. To the point where he was silent during a trade deadline situation that went on with his dad and LeBron. How badly did this guy want to be off the team? You're with your best friend, Jarvis Landry. Your team has the talent to win the Super Bowl. And for you to still not want to be a part of that team is just mind-blowing. It's ridiculous. And if I'm Baker Mayfield, if I'm Jarvis Landry... If I'm Miles Garrett, Nick Chubb, Kevin Stefanski, Andrew Barry, you name it, anybody in the organization, I am upset and pissed off at Odell. Not because, oh well, his dad posted a social media video. Like, no, that, that's that's not the point of this. Like, so that happens all the time. Look at Baker's wife. Baker's wife. She's annoying. She's super annoying on social media. Leave my husband alone. He's bawling out. Blah, blah, blah. Or Patrick Mahomes' wife or brother or mom saying, leave Patrick alone. Blah, blah, blah. Look what he's done in the past. Or even in the NBA, Ayesha Curry. When Steph Curry doesn't get the ticky-tack fouls that she thinks he should be getting, she com- goes on social media and complains. Oh, Steph should have gotten that foul. That terrible call. These refs shouldn't be, they, they shouldn't have a job. That kind of stuff happens all the time in professional sports with family members turning to social media to voice an opinion on their brother, sister, husband, wife, whatever it may be. That stuff happens all the time. But those players don't go and they don't want to be released from a team. They don't want to be traded from their team. They don't stay radio silent about the situation. They put their head down. They get to work to help their team win. They don't com- they don't complain. They don't whine. Okay, maybe they do on the court. Steph Curry, like NBA players, superstar NBA players, when they don't get fouls, they whine all the time. So be it. Whatever. That's just how the NBA is nowadays. And it's stupid. But they go back the next day. They put their head down. They go to practice. They go to the game. They put their head down. and They go to work to help their team win the game. For Odell Beckham to do absolutely nothing just shows how badly he wanted out of Cleveland. And fine, you're out of Cleveland now. You're out of Cleveland. Go down to 
wherever you're going to go, whether you get claimed off waivers by the Detroit Lions or the New York Jets. Have fun. I don't care. I don't care if you have success. I don't care if you have failures. You're not on the Browns anymore. So I could give to you know what's about how you do. I'm not going to be one of those people like, oh, thank you, Odell, for your time in Cleveland. It was great while it lasted. No, it wasn't. It wasn't great while it lasted. What did he do? I can think of one game, one game that Odell Beckham had in the Browns uniform that really was a great performance, and that was last year against Dallas. He had a great performance against Dallas. He had a receiving touchdown. He had a rushing touchdown. He had a great game. Great game. I think it was two two receiving touchdowns. One he caught from Jarvis, one he caught from Baker, and the other one was a jet sweep that he took 45 yards after having to run back 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage. But that is one game. And maybe you could say, oh, well, he had that big touchdown reception against the Jets. Okay, cool. It's against the freaking Jets. Donovan Peoples-Jones last year had a 75-yard touchdown reception against the Titans. That's more impressive than what Odell did against the Jets. It's the New York Jets. Like, they're not good at football anymore. They're just like the Browns. They haven't been good in a very long time. They had one good year in the past 20 years, and that's when Mark Sanchez was with the team and he led him to the playoffs. And then we all know what happened the year before with Mark Sanchez. The infamous butt fumble, the terrible play, and now he's a radio analyst or a, a TV analyst. He calls games now. He doesn't play. This, to me, in my opinion, is the beginning of the end of Odell Beckham Jr.'s career in the NFL. The only way that I can see Odell thriving from this is if he's picked up by either, by whatever team he's picked up. I I don't care at this point. If any team picks him up and he goes and wins a Super Bowl is the only way that this would be a win for Odell Beckham. That'd be the only way, in my opinion. But honestly, he could go to the New York Jets and for the rest of the year have 10 receiving touchdowns and he could be super happy. He won't win a single game the rest of the year, could have 10 receiving touchdowns, 1,200 yards, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was completely fine with that. Because his numbers and his stats are what matter the most to him. There was a video I saw yesterday on Twitter and Instagram. It was Odell Beckham. I don't know when the game was, if it was last year or this year. Odell Beckham went up to Nick Chubb on the side and said, Man, I want to score a touchdown too. Right away, Nick said, Nick Chubb said, I want to win. I want to win. I don't care about scoring a touchdown. I want to win the game. And I think, honestly, out of all the players that talked and all the coaches and people of the organization that talked throughout the past few days, Baker Mayfield and John Johnson had the best press conferences. 
Baker Mayfield in, in the fact that he he handled all those questions. He was going in and he was he knew he was going to have to answer a bunch of questions about Odell, about his relationship with Odell, about the play of Odell. And he answered every single question in the most professional way possible. He said he was surprised by the fact that this happened. He was asked if he was hurt. He said, no, I'm, I wouldn't say hurt, but I'm surprised. And I think that's how a lot of other people felt on the team. I feel like most of the team was surprised by the whole situation. Because I've I've only heard good things about how Odell is in the locker room and how liked and respected he is by his teammates. Anthony Schwartz tweeted, "Good luck to OBJ. Thanks for taking you under taking me under your wing and helping me throughout my rookie season." Like it seems like Odell was well liked and respected throughout the locker room. Which is a good thing, I guess, but now it just doesn't matter. It doesn't any it doesn't matter anymore. He's not a part of the team. He can go back to the Giants. Go take Kadarius Tony under your wing. Go lead him to be great. Go to Baltimore. Help Rashad Bateman be great. Put him under your wing. Help him be great. I don't care where you go. I don't care where Odell ends up anymore in this situation. When the trade happened, when we got Odell Beckham from the New York Giants, I don't know anybody that was upset. I was ecstatic. It's like, we traded away Kevin Zeitler and Jabril Peppers and a pick for Odell. And I could not have been happier. I was super excited. I was like, this team is going to be great. Odell at the time was a top three, four, five receiver in the NFL. Now, looking back at it, New York won that trade. New York won the trade. Odell gave the Browns close to nothing. Close to nothing in his time in Cleveland. He, he really did not do much for this team whatsoever. Now, Kevin Zeitler is not on the Giants anymore. Jabril Peppers, I don't know what he's doing. But they still have that pick. And I don't know what it's going to end up becoming. Nobody does right now. But they got him out of their system. He got They got his money off their books. And I remember listening to like sports radio around that time when the trade happened and the New York media was celebrating that Odell was no longer on the team. I was like, you guys are crazy. Why would you be celebrating after a a guy of this caliber is traded away from your team? I understand now. I don't know who's on my side with this. If you completely disagree, if you completely agree, if you're sitting on the fence, I don't care and I don't know. But for a guy 
that just doesn't want to be a part of a team with, with the culture that Jarvis Landry and Baker Mayfield help change. I, I don't I don't know what I don't know what you want other than your own personal success. I don't know what else could fulfill Odell Beckham Jr.'s time in Cleveland. If he won a Super Bowl, obviously that would have fulfilled his time. But we didn't. So would it have to have been 15 touchdowns and 1,800 yards? Would that would that have made him happy? I don't know. I, I don't know what would have made Odell happy. John Johnson the third's press conference the other day. He he was he was saying that this was before he was released. So he was saying that he would be tremendously happy if Odell was would continue to be with the team, if he was in the locker room the next day. But that wasn't the main focus of the team. The main focus of the team was that they are on to Cincinnati. We're on to Cincinnati. And that they have to find ways, a way, any way, to win a majority of their remaining schedule. He said, I don't care if we give up 500 yards defensively. If we win the game, we win the game. He said, I don't care if we win the next five games three to nothing. It's a win. And I honestly think that the biggest thing that I took away from all these press conferences was that this Sunday, it would be galvanizing for the team to win the game. I'm pretty sure every single person that talked on the Browns organization said something about how this win would be galvanizing for them. And that's true. I mean, it's true. It would put them back up to five and four and out of the basement of the AFC North they're only a game and a half back of the division lead right now, so they're still in it. And if they lose this weekend, they're still mathematically in the situation for the playoffs. But if they lose, I don't see them making the playoffs. Straight straight and simple. They would be 0-2 against divisional opponents. They would be 4-5. and Bengals would be 6-3. and Ravens are coming off a bye. They're probably going to win this week. I don't know who Pittsburgh's playing. But who cares? It's Pittsburgh. It would be... I I don't know what else I would do but give up on the season if we lose this game on Sunday against the Bengals. This is the biggest game of the season. And this is the first time in a very, very long time since I've been alive that this game matters for both the Bengals and the Browns. It matters for the Bengals in the sense that they just came off of a terrible loss to the Jets with Mike White starting the game and just torching them. Torched them. A quarterback who's been in the league for years, but he really hasn't done anything at all. I had no idea who he was. But he torched the Bengals. The Bengals lost to New York. The Jets with a backup quarterback. So if the Bengals win, one, I wouldn't be surprised. But also if the Browns won, I wouldn't be surprised. 
for a couple reasons. One, back to Baker Mayfield without Odell. His stats are significantly better without Odell Beckham on the field. And two, I don't know what it is about Cincinnati, but Baker Mayfield always seems to ball out against the Bengals. I I don't know what it is. Last year, he went 22 for 28 through five, four or five touchdowns and had 297 yards passing and led a game-winning drive that ended in a Donovan Peoples-Jones touchdown catch, and we won the game. So honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bengals won. I wouldn't be surprised if the Browns won. I wouldn't be surprised if someone got blown out. But this is the first real type of adversity that this team is facing. And you can say, oh, well, they went through COVID last year. So did everybody else. Everyone through, every team went through the adversity of COVID. Every team. Not every team is right now going through the adversity of losing a star player. The Broncos and the Browns are the two, two, two teams that are going through any real kind of adversity due to a player being released or traded. The Broncos, for whatever reason, traded Von Miller to the Rams. And now the Rams, in my opinion, are Super Bowl favorites with Matthew Stafford balling out over there, playing like an MVP they have Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers, and all I got Von Miller. Like their their team is scary. Cooper Cup, a, a career year he's having. He's on pace to tie the record for receiving yards in a season. But that's that's besides the point. The point is the Browns need to show us that they can fight through adversity and true adversity that nobody else is facing. Backs against the wall must win game. Season on the line. This is week nine and the season's already on the line. I don't think anybody that I know saw this coming. I'm, I'm, I'm just... Super nervous, honestly, for the game tomorrow. I'm nervous. Now, I tr- I trust Baker Mayfield and Jarvis to lead the team. I-, I trust that they can lead us to a win. But if they don't, if they don't win the game, it- it's over. Not mathematically, but they. I don't. I don't know what else we could go through for this to be any kind of success if we lose on Sunday. Now, I've ranted for the past half hour about Baker Mayfield and Odell and whatever it may be with the Browns and their aggravation that they're causing so much of the fan base right now. But I want to turn to a team in Cleveland that's showing a lot of potential and success in a young season. The Cleveland Cavaliers are six and four. They are six and four. They are four and two on the road. The six teams they've beaten the Clippers, 
the Nuggets, the Hawks, the Hornets, the Trailblazers, and the Raptors. Five of those six teams last year were either in the playoffs or the play-in. Two of those teams were in their respective conference finals last year. And the Raptors were the one team last year that wasn't a part of the playoffs or the play-in. But they were on a five-game winning streak going into the game last night. The Raptors were on a five-game winning streak and at home. And the Cavs came in last night. I, I watched majority of the game. I watched through the whole first half, bits and pieces of the third quarter, and the last five, six minutes of the game. Start of the game just did not look good. We were turning the ball over. We were rushing everything. We weren't getting up great shots. And then we were just letting the Raptors run the floor and just get easy fast break buckets on us. Easy fast break buckets. And then we'd come storm back a little bit. We'd cut it to two or we'd tie the game. And then the Raptors would go on another run. And then we'd claw our way back into the game. We'd make it a close game. And then the Raptors would go on another run. The Raptors were up by as much as 15 points last night. 15 points. In the third quarter. In the third quarter, they were up by 15. The Cavs last night, in the last five minutes of the game, were down by as much as eight. And now that's not really a lot because in 45 seconds, you could get two stops, you could have three possessions, and you could tie the game. That's not really a lot, but this is the NBA. So it's a lot easier said than done. The Cavs continued to get stops. And honestly, I think the biggest play of the fourth quarter last night was Jetty Osmond's defensive play. Fred Van Vliet stole the ball from Colin Sexton, who had a terrible game last night. Colin Sexton played absolutely terrible. But Fred Van Vliet stole the ball. He was going down for what looked like an easy layup. Colin Sexton just eased up and was going to let him get an easy layup. And Jetty Osmond came down and chased him down and blocked it. Went out of bounds and it was still Raptors ball. But the Raptors did not score that possession. They didn't. If they score that two points, that's probably a Cavs timeout. Momentum is heavily in Toronto's favor. And they go on to win the game by 10 points. This team has shown so much fight and energy in every single game this season. And it is so fun and exciting to watch. It gives me hope for Cavaliers basketball without LeBron James. I've never had this kind of hope for the Cavs unless LeBron was a part of the roster. There's been no situation, even when Kyrie was in town and LeBron wasn't back. They were bad. They were really bad. Kyrie thought they could that he could lead the team. Now he had great moments, winning shots, stuff like that without LeBron on the team. But he didn't lead them to anything. He didn't lead them to the playoffs once. It took LeBron to come back to even make the playoffs and then we win a championship. Coming back down 3-1, 
from the Warriors never forget. But this team is so exciting to watch. Between the front court with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, between the incredible guard play with Darius Garland, Colin Sexton's played pretty good this season, but last night was a dud of a game. Really bad performance from Colin Sexton last night. And then off the bench, Kevin Love has been very efficient off the bench this season. He's missed the past few games because he's in the NBA's health and safety protocol. So he's missed the past few games. Ricky Rubio off the bench has been incredible. And he filled in for Darius Garland those two games he missed amazingly. We've had a lot of efficiency with this team. And the defense. Man, J.B. Bickerstaff has gotten this team to be one of the top defensive teams in the league. I saw a stat earlier this morning talking about the seven-game stretch that the Cavs are on right now. Now, in the last seven games, the Cavs are 5-2. and two. We're 6-4 and four overall. In the seven-game span of us being 5-2, and two, our defensive numbers have been ridiculous. Over the last seven games this season, the Cavs are 5-2, and two, which is tied fourth in the NBA over the last seven games. We've held opponents to an average of 98.4 points, which is first in the league. We've held our opponents to a 43% Shooting from the field, sixth in the league. We've held our opponents to a mere 31% from three, which is fifth in the league. And we've had 18.9 points per game off of turnovers, which is seventh in the league. These are numbers that if we can continue to have on a consistent basis throughout the season... I wouldn't be surprised if the Cavs snuck in as like a five or six seed in the playoffs, completely skipping the plan. If we can continually and consistently put up these kind of defensive numbers, that would be great. That would be amazing. And on on the topic of defense, as of this morning, the NBA leaders in total shot contests. Number five, Demonis Sabonis of the Pacers. He has 109. Number four, Mo Bamba. He has 110. Number three, Giannis of the Bucks has 115 shot contests. Number two on the list, our center, Jared Allen, has 118 shot contests this season. And the number one, Evan Mobley. With 159 shot contests this season. 159. That's 41 more than the next, which is our center, Jared Allen. The amount of production that our front court has given us this year is amazing. It's amazing. Evan Mobley's looking like the clear, I wouldn't say clear favorite right now, but he's looking like a favorite for the rookie of the year. 
I'd say a close second would be the Raptors, Scotty Barnes, who who played pretty well last night. He played he played pretty pretty good, but Evan Mobley outperformed him. In last night's game, Evan Mobley ended with eighteen points, five rebounds, two assists, and a block. Shot seven for fourteen from the field, so fifty percent, nice and efficient. Last night, Scotty Barnes for the Raptors shot 7 of 19 at 14 points, 9 boards, and 4 assists. So, efficient-wise, efficiency-wise, Evan Mobley had a better game. Points-wise, Evan Mobley had a better game. Defensively, Evan Mobley had a better game. So, Evan Mobley, in his first matchup with a top rookie in his class, outperformed the other rookie, which is fantastic to see. Fantastic. And I was talking about how Colin Sexton had an abysmal night last night. He only scored nine points in 32 minutes on four of 17 shooting. It's less than 25%. And we still won the game. We still won the game. Darius Garland. 8 of 12 shooting, 2 of 3 from 3-point line, 8 assists, and 21 points in the game-clinching free throws with 4.8 seconds left to go. Jared Allen, 16 points, 15 rebounds, 2 steals, a block on 5 of 6 shooting from the field and 5 of 6 shooting from the free throw line. Talk about efficiency. This team is sparked by efficiency. When their team, when their top players are playing really efficient and consistent basketball, they are a tough team to beat. Now, it's all over Twitter, but I'm taking this Cavs resurgence seriously. I'm taking this seriously. We've got a good young team. We've got really good young players. And these past three wins, we're on a little three-game winning streak. All three without Kevin Love. All three without our starting... uh, No, not our starting. All three without our backup wing, Isaac Okoro, who's known for his defense. And the past two without our starting three guard or not guard, but our starting three, Laurie Markkinen. And Laurie Markkinen's started the season hot. He's played really good the past the, the past five or six games that he's played in the season. So to do this without those three guys that get significant minutes in the game is great to see. It's great to see. We beat Charlotte in Charlotte. We beat Portland at home. And then we go on the road last night. We beat Toronto in Toronto after not leading the entire game until the final 4.8 seconds of the game. A stat that might seem kind of stupid to most people is the amount of dunks players have had. You say, oh, that's just dunks, like whatever. It's two points. 
Counts the same as a layup. Counts the same as a mid-range jumper. Jared Allen and Evan Mobley are number one and two in the league in number of dunks this year, going into last night's game. Going into last night, Jared Allen had 27 dunks. Evan Mobley had 21. Now you might think, yeah, that's stupid. And like, who cares? That's just dunks. In my opinion, that that is a stat that shows aggression and force when you're going to the basket. It, it doesn't show them. It, it shows that they are not being soft when they're going to the rim and just trying to lay it up there and hope, hope it doesn't get blocked. They're going up with force and aggression. They're slamming the ball into the hoop. It's plays like that, like alley-oops from Garland or Rubio or coast-to-coast dunks. It creates a spark for the team, and it creates a momentum shift. Whether we're down by 10 and we're up by 10, it creates a momentum shift in our favor. Now, our next game is in New York against the New York Knicks. And they're coming off a great season last year, a surprising season last year. And they're coming off a really good win against the Milwaukee Bucks in Milwaukee. They were down as much as 19 last night, and they came back and won the game by almost 20. The New York Knicks are a very good team. Best player being Julius Randle, who, when he was with the Lakers, was a laughing stock of the league. They got veteran point guard Derrick Rose, who last night played like prime Derrick Rose. He had a great game for the for the Knicks against the Bucks last night. They've got Kemba Walker, who they acquired in the offseason. Evan Fournier, who seems to light up the Cavs anytime we play his team for whatever reason. And the Knicks picked him up this offseason. This is going to be a tough matchup for the Cavs. And I don't know if we're going to have a Coro or Love or Markinen back this game. I'm not sure about that yet. But if we can continue to show the fight and energy that we've been able to show throughout this season so far, this is going to be a good, close game. This is going to be a very fun game to watch. Last year, I didn't really watch much Cavs basketball because I had no hope for the team. I had no hope. And they showed me that I was I was right. They didn't play good basketball last year. They only won 20 games. But this year, I've watched every single game and I've already been to a game this year. This team is not the same as last year. They're exciting to watch. They're fun to watch. They get you nervous still because they're the Cavs. Why wouldn't they get you nervous at some points in the game? But this team has shown this season so far that they are a changed team. They have a new mindset. They have the energy. They have the efficiency and consistency to be a good team and play good basketball. The, the game against the Knicks, that's gonna be that's gonna be a fun, exciting game to watch, and I'm I'm excited to watch it. And I obviously hope we come out with the win. I hope Colin Sexton 
can not play like absolute dog water. I hope that the front court can continue to be efficient, that Darius Garland can continue to be efficient, that the bench can continue to be efficient when we need them to. And if they do that, I I think we could come out with a win. I would not be surprised if we could come out with a win against the Knicks in New York. All that being said, that's about all I got for today. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And I hope you guys continue to have a great rest of your day. And as always, yes, even today, go Browns. Thank you.